everyone to the Disco Posse podcast. My name is Eric Wright. I'm going to be your host today. Don't forget to keep following along. You can go to discopossepodcast.com, get show notes, links, and more. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. And with that, let's get started. And we are live. Uh, thank you very much, everybody, for listening today. Uh, welcome back. Uh, my name is Eric Wright, uh, here the host of the Disco Posse podcast. Uh, super excited. This is a fun one. We, uh, you know, as always, one of my favorite things to do is I, you know, get out in the community and I talk to folks uh, and I, I, I'm lucky because I'm able to get out and I meet a lot of people that do really neat things that I got monstrous respect for. And I only wish that I could spend a day in their life and, and be as good as what they do. Today, I'm going to welcome a guest, somebody who I was lucky enough to meet actually at a VMUG. God, it's probably years ago, uh, but <laughs> just the same. Let me start. Uh, David Shaw, uh, I would describe him as first uh, an amazing and bold person and personality, also someone who I think is doing some really neat stuff. I kind of coined this idea of, of DevOps as a service is my top level description of what's going on because we as an industry are struggling with a bunch of things like what is it that we're trying to get done and, and how do companies figure out how to take on new processes and, and build products and do stuff when they don't necessarily know how to do it. Um, so David, let's start. You can introduce yourself, tell us where we can find you online, and then uh, we're gonna talk about what, how you got to do what you do and, and what you do, because I'm, I'm super excited about it, actually. Oh, great, thank you, Eric, thank you. Uh, so I'm David Shaw uh, with, uh, with White Level Software, and uh, you know, it's, just, it's been an exciting route, right? I think when we met a long time ago, I might've been working at one of the larger uh, banks, uh, and then since then, I've worked at a, a several uh, smaller hedge fund companies and some startup companies. So, um, you know, I've had my hands wet in, in a lot of things, and I've, I've just I've been blessed, like you say there, that uh, you know I've had a career in which I've had the opportunity to to learn. Uh, you know, that, that's what I love about this technology is that uh, I don't care how many MBAs you have, we all start at ground zero when new stuff comes out. Amen. So, <laughs> it's, uh, it's 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 been really neat and, and a blessing to uh, to get in there. Uh, it is the land of opportunity. You you dig deep and uh, and you can uh, be a leader. I, I'm not a leader by any means, but I try to do what I can and, and try to be as honest and transparent as I can to uh, to show the work that we do. And uh, and I think it's been uh, a really fantastic road. Well, it's really uh, your approach is as important as anything else, and and I love that idea of you know, hey, look, I'm not necessarily looking to take over the world, but while you're at it, you're going to, you're going to really powerfully and, and positively affect a big chunk of it. And you're doing that, right? You've, you've done that in, in our meetings and, you know, in our chance to, to chat. Uh, I, I look to the world and I think of two things and I think Ray Dalio is, is famous for, you know, among his, his things he's, he's done in the book principles and a bunch of other things. He talks about if I could walk away from, from the world and say, I did something well, I want to have meaningful relationships and do meaningful work. And, and, and meeting you pr produce one of those things for me and watching what you do, you know, gave me an insight into the meaningful work. So, you know, white label software, how, what is it and, and how did it begin? Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. I mean, let's, let's, uh, we'll scoot back, uh, you know, a long, long time ago, right? No, but, um, no, I appreciate that. So, you know, um, 
that means a lot to the, the accolades that you, you throw this way because, uh, you know, I, I, I read a book, it was called Halftime, right? It was about being, you know, uh, after being successful, when you become significant, right? And then the follow-up book I had after that was Go Giver. And uh, what it really meant was that, uh, you know, while I was looking at these larger organizations, you know, from military background to, to the big banks here uh, in Charlotte, um, you know, I had the opportunity to, to dive deep, get in there and, and like be the subject matter expert, right? That was a big thing, right? Everybody should have a green belt too, right? While we're at it. Um, and that was good. But what, what happened was I, I found out that I don't really know who I was helping at the end of the day. You know, uh, you know I, was, uh, I was doing what I did. I, I did really well from everything from the, you know, the infrastructure, the network, uh, and then into the, you know, obviously cloud and virtualization. Uh, we started that at a bank in 2005, so we're very, you know, leading edge, enjoying that. Uh, you know, birthed a lot of new best practices from that area. But at, at the same time, I just wasn't feeling my connection with the, with the, with the end user, right? And who am I helping at the end of the day? I'm not, I'm not feeling that. So that's where, you know, I kind of went into the pilgrimage after 2011 and trying to find somewhere to go, and it started with some startups. You know, what are some real pain points of a, of a, of a client? Not in a large institution, but a real paying client. <laughs> and, that's uh, right. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of where, where it started, right? Because, you know, when you're in a larger organization, you kind of carry that big stick. Like, well, the corporate government says do this, and I'm mandating it, and off we go. Um, yeah, that's not really making a lot of friends there, but you, you make, I guess, political credit within that organization. But in general, I learned that I needed to figure out what the people in the outside world really needed. And that's kind of where it went. And I started with small companies and startups and, and, and a place like Salesview, they, they took me in when they were starting their stuff. And it was, you know, an Amazon and, and uh, they were in the different, different clouds and we were consolidating and put it together and, and watch those guys grow from a POS in the cloud, which is, which was an enablement from getting, from being closed captioned to allowing the, the business owner to be free and, and like check his sales inventory from afar or whatever. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. And it turned into, a, uh, you know, a glorified ERP right now. So it's, it's awesome. So you can do POS, junior sales, forecasting inventory. You can do a lot of neat things. I'm not plugging sales. You just, it was a great organization to work with. And, and Pascal and those guys allowed me to come in there and, and kind of, you know, bring, bring some synergies together about the, about the cloud and where to put things and maybe a little change control management, things like that. Um, but it wasn't until we started doing some real good work over um, – at some of the large, smaller hedge fund companies up, up here about microservices, right? Understanding what's that value to the end user and how can we get it to them faster, right? Using, you know, virtualization, but at the same time, how do we get even better about function as a service? That's where we get into that DevOps as a service, right? It was, everybody has the idea. Everybody does agile and scrum, but sometimes it's still a waterfall at the end of the day. You know, they're requiring so many requirements up front uh, before they actually start producing. Uh, and so we turned it on, the, on, on our head, uh, pretty much, I went all the way back to my, my beginnings, total quality management, TQM, which was, give me the base of functionality, we'll design that, we'll throw it out there, and we'll have this iterative session constantly between me and the developer, and me and the user, and see where we're at. And so it wasn't like, you know, six months of requirements gathering and three weeks of development time and then find out nobody likes it. It was a constant growing, right? All of us. And DevOps, right? Is kind of born out of that, right? And that's where, you know, small companies, they do a very great job, very nimble. They can make that happen. Uh, don't have so much, you know, uh, the, the, the ITIL burdens, if you will, uh, but can make things happen much quicker, more nimbler, have the DevOps as a service really means that you have, you know, CI, CD, right? Constant, in, you know, integration delivery, right? You're constantly the, providing to your client 
in a real time attitude, not and, and, and still maintaining your four nines or five nines uh, and not being down to do a massive upgrade every time you do something and then hope we don't break something else down the line. So for me to see that happen and come together, uh, that's how we started white level software. And, and, and so we, uh, my buddy Jason and I uh, headed it up. Uh, he's the CEO, Jason uh, Booglin, and he uh, and I got together. He's the application guy, and, and I was the infrastructure cloud guy trying to get all work. And microservices and I, that's where Jason and I really melded together, right? He was able to understand where I was going with it, code it to the way we needed to be, break things down to basically SLAs or OLAs between different services, and so you can create the product at the end of the day. And it really, it really can be a two pizza box team, right, to get things done and, and be, be proficient. And the the interesting thing is that you get to, I imagine you've got a background like I used to live in, I worked in big financials and insurance companies and we would build these kind of like product teams and like, you know, it was, it was fun because you would, you would create this like almost like a miniature startup inside and Eric Reese actually, he calls them intrapreneurs. Um, and it was, it's cool because you can do that and you can test it and you can see the, the effect, but you know, back in those days, it was really, really difficult to move things along. Like you said, they've got waterfall, they've got project management offices and, and item, Mm -hmm. all this crazy stuff. And, you know, people were trying to get six Sigma certified and I was getting six Sigma. I was sick and tired of (laughs) being held back in change control meetings, which were born of the era of, of mainframe, you know, Mm -hmm. sporadic, significant releases, and here mm-hmm. we go. It's distributed, increase the pace of of movement, increase the pace of release, and then, like you said, now we get into this thing of of microservices, different ways to to think about how to create products and 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 work with projects. What's interesting, and I, I, you know, people will listen to this and they'll say, okay, you've mentioned DevOps, you've mentioned microservices, but you know, what does that actually mean? Because I find people really conflate that it's not DevOps if it's not microservices or containers or whatever. What's your thought on like, is there a one thing comes before the other or is it, is it a mindset? Like how does somebody move from, okay, I'm sick and tired of doing quarterly releases. This is how I need to start thinking, or this is my, my first step as I look towards the DevOps ish, you know, style. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, the first thing for me is you really got to break the, the, the monolithic application mindset, right? I know that's, that's kind of how we built things going forward. And, and, and there's a lot of companies sitting that way, especially with when it comes to GLs and things of that nature. Um, but what happens is that it's gotten so large and it's been put together by so different many people, sort of a bunch of different languages, that it's very difficult to keep an even flow, right? I mean, I, I remember at some of the large banks, and I, I, believe, I believe we might have coined something called the Blackbird, uh, n- nothing to do with the Air Force there. But in general, it was a huge overseer of all the processes that go on inside of an application. And it was almost like we had to develop our own XML code to communicate to the different languages because there might be Java, there might be some Fortran, and there might be something else. I'm like, wow, this is crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. um, and so it's like, you know, and then when you want to onboard a new client, you're looking at, you know, months, right? And I'm like, I don't know why this takes so long. Oh, well, we got these Oracle databases and they're very, very huge. And I'm not here to disparage any databases here, but, but in general, it was, you know, it was like, wow, I mean, we're just going to keep making tables, which gets larger and larger and larger. And then all of a sudden, 
the SLA that you had about the speed in which you get something in and out of that database has now changed, right, for everybody. And so you can no longer maintain that. And then you create these huge data lakes. And then all of a sudden, you have such a huge data lake amongst these huge, you know, relational databases, if you will, that all of a sudden, not everybody can talk to it more. It's too difficult. So now we're going to do these one-off batch processes for you. And what would you like it in SQL? We'll dump one for SQL. What would you like yours in MySQL? We'll dump it in MySQL. What would you like? And so now all of a sudden, you're not getting real-time data no more. Right. I mean, it's near time, near real time, but it's not no more. And you get a dump of what was out there. It, it's it, it's so wild how big these things have gotten out of hand. So the first thing is, is understand the mindset of what you're doing. You kind of want to get to the event trigger, the very, the very finite thing that makes a function work. You need the application and the database behind that. Now, real high level, I kind of demarked the two between application can be very stateless. It's a stateless environment. And that, and that shouldn't be a new term, but for some folks it may be. But this is where you have an application that, that, is, that is, you know, born on the fly, right? It, it's written in code. It's stored somewhere. And when you, and it, it's, it's running real time, right? It may be Linux, LAMP stack, something like that. But when you run it, you, it just brings it up. It comes online. It runs, right? And you can mass replicate this thing and have it, if you will, orchestrate yourself a little cluster of services that communicate. Let's say it's an order tracking system, right? And you want to be able to take all the influx of it. Just an HTTP daemon, for example. And if you had that wrapped up inside the application, that HTTP daemon could get ramped up. And so next thing you know, you have all these offsetting web proxy servers all over the place, right? Just trying to maintain the connectivity. But if you took it at the very beginning and says, look, I just need this HTTP daemon to do this work, put his transaction level in a little, I don't know, MySQL database or MongoDB or whatever. Now when you put it in the database, it's kind of more of a, that's a stateful, right? We want to keep track of that because that piece of it's actually you know, a transactional information that we want to maintain going forward for, you know, audit, recovery purposes, things of that nature. But therefore, now you've taken this upper half of the application, if you will, or the, the, the stack and the app side of the house, and no longer have to worry about all these, these backup configurations. You start minimizing the amount of work you need to do in that kind of space and the backups and the redundant backups. Like how many, you know, how many SDB drives or SCC drives you need to have backed up? Or how many E or F drives you need to have backed up if they're all the same? So you get to the point where you're saying, well, you know what? I'm just creating this one thing. I think virtualization really put us there and we had some spots in that, but we still virtualized a bunch of C drives or you know, a bunch of, <laughs> yeah, a we, bunch of SDAs. We did a lot of bad things using virtualization. And I think we're about to do some bad things with containerization in the same way. And, and mm. but I still, I believe that we've, even those miniatures, like those first steps, like you said, it's, it's kind of like data normalization, you know, like let's, mm -hmm. You can't necessarily get to like third normal form, whatever, in, in one shot. Mm -hmm. but let's start at this one layer. It's the theory of constraints, right? For fans of, of Eli Goldrad and the goal and, and the Phoenix project and stuff like that. It's, that's, it's funny, even just the description when you talk about it, you can imagine how easily somebody would say like, oh, like I've, I've already got a web stack. I've got a database. I've got all this. Like it gets very overwhelming. I think for a lot of folks and it does, it does. I'm I'm, did you I'm find that was the, and I, I always like to say this, like the technology stack in itself, in and of itself is tough, is tough. But mm -hmm. the, when you're explaining it to a, especially a project manager or an application owner and, you know, or like a business sponsor of an application and they, you know, they, whether it's a CRM or, or something like that. And you suddenly mm -hmm. have to sit down in front of them and say, Okay, so here's this monstrous amount of you know you've things underneath your application. We're going to change the way you do things. 
are you good? Like, are you willing to invest in putting resources towards this, knowing that you won't see an outcome for a period of time, however, you're creating future opportunities? That is, how easily could you convince the, that owner, that person, that it's valuable to start breaking this stuff down? Because the, the nerds in us will always love it. We'll, we'll be excited for a while and then we'll get stuck on something. <laughs> And then we'll probably let it go. But like that's the the person that matters, like you said, is the person that actually runs the business that's going to be affected by what you're doing. You're, 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 you're absolutely right. And you touched on an excellent point there. You know, all of us in the technology space or in the nerd space there, I just had to be an extroverted nerd, so it's easy for me, right? I'll, I'll speak to you. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but you know, you, if you're not talking to the business owner, the purse strings, if you will, right? You, you're, almost, you're almost kind of wasting your breath, right? Because that's the person needs to get convinced, right? It's, it's always that way. Whoever the decision maker is, right? I don't, if you're in sales or whatever you're doing, it's always a decision maker, right? Because anybody else, just kind of in the way. Uh, I don't mean a bad way, but the, the point is that convincing those folks is very hard. There's an ROI involved, right? And like you said, you know, any good engineer or architect in, in that general will say, hey, look, it may, it may take a few months to, to engineer this, but if, once this is broken down to a repeatable uh, process and procedure, it pays dividends real quick. Right, so it may take some time up front. So you have to go down and talk about what is the important competitive advantage for your business. If it's speed to market and time to delivery, then you really got to go microservices. We got to break down this monolithic wall, right? Um, it, but if it's not, for whatever reason, this is a you know uh, you know a tier three or four kind of service, and it's not a big deal, then you know we might be you know kind of barking up the wrong tree on these folks because they're like, well, I I, you know, I know what this bag of rocks I got and. There's, that's a new bag of rocks, Dave, you're talking about. And I don't know how that works yet, right? I've, I've had that before. You know, uh, Dave, I have six different flavors of Oracle running on from Solaris <laughs> to Windows to everything that's else, right. Linux, and, and I know what it's running on. I'm like, yeah, but really? Like, that's what, like, that's the goal? Uh, I remember having this conversation when we were rolling it out, and I'm like, you know, I, I remember having this, this really, really long time ago, aging me here, an Oracle 11G, not that long ago, but it, it's aged. And uh, I was saying, yeah, but we can get you into one, right? And we will now have one stop. You won't have to do this, this multiple change control, multiple testing, multiple development times and cycles. And they were like, yeah, you know, but we'll come with that bag of rocks. I'm like, all right, then, uh, you know, let's, and then give me 10%, right? Give me 10% of your application. Let's do that or portfolio application. And that's kind of how I had to work it, right? So couldn't do it all at once. We had to kind of slowly work it in there, get them some small, quick wins and something that wasn't very important to them and then move forward. And then, and then they were very, very ecstatic. But that wasn't... You know, because it was a large bank, that was a two-year process. You got in these large institutions, you have to realize you're 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 battling against uh, uh, institutional knowledge, right? People have been there for a long time, long in the tooth. A uh, little adverse to changes sometimes, and you're in a Titanic. It's a, it's a large organization. It takes a lot to make change. Um, yeah, so I used to describe it as the five-mile runway. You know, there is. <laughs> it feels like you're taking off for a long time, and you've got a long ability to just like let the engines off and take the, and put the brakes on. So versus the short runway, you, you got to, you've got to decide, act, measure. You've, there's, there's a lot more, you've got skin in the game and the very immediate results that you can show, you know, and, and I've worked in big banks and that was the thing is you'd have these, especially like GL projects, ERPs, mm -hmm. like, but they've have like five year plans with a CIO that probably doesn't think he's going to make it past the first three. And mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, you're, they, they can be three years in and remembered insourcing and outsourcing. We all did this, right? Like 
we're going to go through a huge outsourcing project for two years and then oh, yeah. two more years of insourcing because the outsourcing didn't work out so well. <laughs> right. Yeah. We started having to behave, we had to behave in SLA. That wasn't fair. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> in, so what's the most, this is always the fun one. What's the most dangerous person in the organization in getting, in keeping things the way they were? Do you believe that it's, like what's the percentage of weight to the the technologists, the folks that are that were like you and me that became the like, no, I know how this thing works, so I'm in charge because I'm the technologist, I'm the subject matter expert. Or is it the business owner that maybe isn't aware of the the complexities and the dangers that are lurking beneath? You know, do you find that there's one or the other, David, or is it mix and match? Your mileage may vary. You know, I think, um, you know, I really think the business owner, what we found out is the business owner really wants help and they really need help. And, and they're, you know, and maybe, you know, you know, I, I, I say that I'm a technologist, shares hope in crisis. That's what I do. I, I share hope in that crisis. I mean, it's a problem and you came to me, so I know you got an issue. So they're, they're very receptive to it. Um, and, and I'm trying to do this in a nice way, but it's really the, the, the one who's the technologist that may have stopped learning. Uh, I, I call it the, the, you know, the, they're, they're, they're not the future proofed, if you will. Right. They assume to, I, I got this, we're working on it. We've got some complacency here and, and we're not being pushed to do anything. And so that drive to be, to, to be innovative kind of disappears. Right. I, I would say, and, I, and I'm, and this is kind of weird. I enjoyed working at Kennedy space, Kennedy space center, but I will say that if it wasn't for Elon Musk coming out, I don't know that I would ever seen a rocket land itself out in the ocean on a drone ship. That was the coolest thing ever. And I worked at Kennedy Space Center. So, you know, I thought we were leading edge. And, and, and here was somebody else who had to come in with a different mindset, a different idea that says, uh, you know, I hear all the no's. I'm, we're just going to give it a shot. We can try it out. And I think that's where the difference really comes into play, where we get, we get away from that, that gut feeling, you know, the institutional knowledge, and start looking at some empirical data and start making decisions based on that, not emotions, right? So we start getting into that fact-based analysis, managed by fact, old term, right? We've all used it. But we really start using that and it says, here, here's what we can do. Here's other companies doing that. Um, and I did some risk averse stuff going on from the larger corporation you are, but really the, the business owner, the one with the, the purse strings, uh, you know, if you can get with that person and you know, outline your plan, what's going on. And, you know, obviously it dictates by how large the project is or the application is, but you, you will win and you will win more times than not, right? Than trying to work up through the, through the technology stack and then try to get over to the liaison at that point the relationship manager, if you will, and then try to get the business. And it was funny. I remember, you know, being a senior techie on the team and <clears throat> being able to kind of affect the outcome of a lot of things. And I realized very quickly that I had the power to put brakes on things that shouldn't have brakes. And hmm. it was weird because I, I, I was different in that I didn't want to. I wanted to put I want to put wings on everything. I want to make it faster. I want to make it fly. I want to make it land. I want to land that rocket out on that that skiff, you know, versus I've seen so many folks that move into the, you know, we called it the COE, the center of excellence. And then oh, they yes. wanted to become a museum. They wanted to become a picture <laughs> of how amazing things have occurred and they don't need to anymore because we got here. I'm like, no, 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 this is not, we can celebrate this stuff and then find the next thing like this innovation tended to slow down as people and whether it was life career there's a lot of factors that can make a person want to slow down mm -hmm. and and you know it's funny 
you know, you're, uh, I don't know, you know, I won't ask your age and never ask a gentleman his age, right? I never ask me their age, but you know that we're talking about GLs. We're talking about stuff that we've lived through mainframe, Fortran, COBOL. Mm-hmm. We've been through a few waves of, of technology change. And I'm, and I'm still excited today about what's coming tomorrow. And I know that it will be replaced by something that's going to be here in a year right. versus you know, I've worked with a lot of people who are my age that they became like technology senior citizens really fast. They just, I'm like, I'm, I'm 28. I learned my virtualization stack and that's it. I, I want out. Like I don't, I don't want no more new things. <laughs> and I'm, I'm always mm-hmm. excited by that because I know they look at what you have the potential to do as uh, somebody who can excite that business sponsor. And then they kind of get that, that worry. And that's why a lot of folks, you know, drag their heels and they, it just feels like there's, like you said, I, I like that you said it's most likely down in the tech stack is where we'll feel the resistance more so than the business owner who's looking to say, I need to generate revenue. I need to do it. At, I need to reduce expenses and, and I need to do all these things. And I need to make my business viable for 10 years, 20 years, not for today and yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you, you have to be willing to put your job on the line. Right. And what I mean by that is, it, it, you're, you know, when you have that outside thought process, when you're in, entrenched, if you will, for a long time in a corporation uh, and you're coming up with these radical ideas, you got to throw them out there and, and you got to be able to say, look, if this don't work, then I'll walk. But a lot of folks aren't willing to do that. You know, it, it's, you know, every time I was in an organization, did something, they're like, well, you're going to automate us out of a job. You know, Dave, if you do this microservices, then, you know, I'm not going to be maintaining virtualization. I do. I do operations virtualization. Well, dude, we'll learn something else. Right. I mean, you know, the thing was, I see a lot of people get in the, cause what happens with technology, we got everything. You know, all of a sudden you had a, uh, a rack and stack guy and then you got the one who installed the OS and then you had another group that was running virtualization, then another group that was running the network and another group that, you know, everybody was siloed and they got very specific in what they did. Almost like PhD work, right? They got very, like, I know, I know the A button on the keyboard. That's my button. Like, I don't know what everybody else does, but I know the A button. Um, and, and what happens is these folks worry about their uh, longevity in the company because they, they put all their eggs in one basket, probably, you know, paid three, four, five thousand dollars for certifications in one specific area. And I, I'm not saying anybody shouldn't get it, but you really need to stay broad. I mean, I've jumped from you know, where I'm at now to cybersecurity. I got some great connections to cybersecurity now, especially at Monterey College up here. And, and I, I'm telling you, that stuff blows my mind every time. Right. But those are the areas in which new ideas, new things are happening and you need to be innovative. And if you're not, you and that company, uh, unfortunately, will probably get left behind, right? And that's where you got to, I, I say every day, you got to put your job in line. Yeah, you may, you know, you're going to make some stuff and it may get rid of some FTEs, but really we can retrain those FTEs. It isn't that I'm getting rid of FTEs. I'm saying, let's get rid of the mundane work. You don't need to do that. Don't get burnt out on that. And that's where I saw a lot going on in the industry was they got very good, stuck in one area, became SMEs, but then that was it. They like, oh, and then that trend moved on. Right. That's well, right. That's what folks are hurting on. Yeah. What, what I've been able to do is, you know, it, a few times I've had those things where somebody says like, well, no, it can't be done or no, why, like that's, it's going to be a waste of effort, whatever. And quite often, cause I know we as, as techies, you know, technologists, we tend to be, you know, guys and gals who really love a challenge even though we don't feel like, you know, we want to have a little bit of complacency here and there. Everybody should, everybody does, it's fine. But I would say like, yes, there's no way that, that out here, there's no way it can be done. And I'd say, actually, I think I can do it. 
just give me a few minutes after this meeting and then I'll, I'll give you a proof of concept. And what would be funny is that the four people that were in that meeting would come up with four ways to attack that problem within 15 minutes of the end of that meeting because no one wanted to be the one that was like, whoa, no, no, there's no way. I'm not going to let Eric be the one that, that, that gets this, this right. trophy in this one. And it was cool because you could kind of excite people with a little bit of, you know, it's a carrot on a stick. Mm-hmm. Um, then in doing those things, all of a sudden you're standing there looking over the shoulder going, you know, you're, you're automating yourself out of a task, not a job. Right. And then they got that difference. It was like, now what do you really want to do? And it was a fellow that I worked with. He's actually a customer through the company I work with. And the most beautiful phrase I love, he says, he got all this stuff done. He automated a bunch of things. And then he went to his boss and he says, okay, so we've automated all this stuff. And he says, now what do you want me to do? And he says, his boss says to him, well, what do you want to do? And he just smiles. He says, wait a minute, I get to drive the bus? <laughs> like right. that. This is it. And, and they changed to innovation instead of operation, which is so, so cool to unlock that in people. It, it is. And I think, and, and I find myself having to, you know, um, I look at, lead, not, I, don't, I don't want to say I'm a leader in anything, but, but what I look at leadership is it's not the guy who, like maybe in my military days, would need to be a command leader, right? I'm more of a supportive leader where I'm not a, a, a in charge of people. I'm in care of those in my charge, if that makes sense, right? So, you know, and that's a little Simon Sinek there. That, that's a freebie. You can have that. That guy is, uh, he's helped me change my mindset as well. But the, the goal really is, like you mentioned, you're very competitive. You have four different answers that come out of this, you know, for the, for the POC. And I've had to really claw myself back about a plan I had and say, okay, wait a minute. Let me just paint the big picture. And somebody else may have a better way of getting there. But I know if I've, I've done it a few times where I said, hey, here's how we're going to make this roadmap. And we're, this is what it's going to look like for this application. We're going to switch into the cloud and we're going to go to autonomous self-filling and all this kind of stuff. And I got really, really detailed. And it's almost like I bought no support, right? Because it was, it was, there was nobody was able to have any buy-in. So I've had to take myself out of the picture a little bit and say, look, here's what we want to do. How do we get there? Right? And listen to other people chime in. I mean, I, I will say that, being competitive, that's, that's usually my problem. I, I speak fast. Uh, I want to get the answer in quick and first. I, it's, it's like I'm in grade school again or something. But um, I've had to back up, slow down, uh, keep my mindset about me, write down what I want, but let others participate. Therefore, we all bought into that same big picture, and then we can all strive for that same unified goal. There's kind of a neat thing, I think, with having done it for a while. There's a point where, again, it's sort of career progression and, and just life progression that I... I don't feel the need to immediately prove myself anymore because it was Mm. as much as it was for the rest of the room. It's really for me, right? Like, you know, when you, when you came up, you got your first gig, you, you were trying to to make sure that you could do it, not for yourself. And, you know, and then your, your, your boss, obviously was the one who's going to keep paying you if you did it well. And Mm. then we moved up and, you know, you changed roles and, and changed companies. And now it's funny that, you know, I remember the nervousness of coming into a new organization. And then we had this big, I had a big architectural meeting. It was a you know, large company. We're working on a huge project. Look, going to merge two giant like identity management systems. So mm. it was big Novell network environment. So we had NDS and we had Microsoft Active Directory and this other company. And they, we're going to merge these two companies together. And so we all sat there pretty confident that we knew we could solve it in a particular way. And like you said, we suddenly had to sort of stop and say like, 
I, I don't want to come up with the solution. I want to come up with a solution. And then we would have all these senior folks that would jump in. And then even better, we kind of moved it and went out to the rest of the team and said, okay, folks, you know, your, what would you do if you were in this situation? And it gave them, you know, a different set of eyes. And the irony was that there was somebody who came in from Microsoft. We actually had a consultant that came in and we always joked and said, here we are, we're, you know, years of service to amongst us. And this kid comes in literally jeans, leather jacket, sits down like a, you know, like rebel without a cause, just walks into <laughs> the room an hour into a three hour meeting and looks on the whiteboard and says, what are you trying to do here? And they said, well, we have to figure out whether we take NDS, whether we take that we've got our own act directory and the, we're going through all these iterations. And he says, he just writes a big triangle to the right of everything we were doing. He says, and then he points two arrows from each of the other sections to it. He says, create a brand new directory, migrate everything and eliminate the history. And everybody looked and said, like you, you, you know, a cocky little kid, like there's no way that we're going to pull it off. Well, mm -hmm. you know, a month later, we're in that same room building the plan to do that thing. <laughs> yeah. yep. Funny, if we didn't give it air, if we didn't sit back and said, what are the different ways we can approach it? Nutty or not, viable or not, what's every way we can approach it and put away that confidence. So we were great. I had the confidence to say, here's my idea. And I also had the confidence to say, I know that's not necessarily the right idea but I want to find the right idea together. And that's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You're right. And, and, and you're right. I mean, there's a lot of the folks in that room that had that, I call it the sin of security of a job, right? Cause you know, I, I say that sin of security is, is a handicap for your innovation, right? Cause if you're sitting in that job and, you, and, you, and you've been there and you, and you worry about staying hired cause you've got a bunch of M and A's going on. Um, you know, you, you don't want to speak up, but like you said, Third-party perspective shows up, does something crazy. You're like, well, I'll just let him run with that. See how that goes over, right? <laughs> and then uh, next thing it works, you're like, going, oh man, that's what I get for sitting in the sidelines and letting that happen. Yeah, you're, we're all we're all looking at that one kid going, okay, Icarus, let me know how it gets when you get warm on, on the, up to the sun there. <laughs> yeah. But right. when you sit back and you look at it and you say, okay, well, what if we approach this as a as a group? And it's it's a real neat thing. And I think the collaboration really is again where we're i think as a society like most organizations are getting much better at that versus we used to be very hierarchical i mean you still see people that have you know title manager two or whatever like that's mm -hmm. there's hr titles but i find that most folks that are in technology organizations are very different and the cio used to be like the accountant for the technology group make sure they don't spend all of our money right that was 20 years ago. Now the CIO is maybe even a technologist or somebody that came from the customer space and they know the business objective. What's the actual positive business outcome I'm going to achieve by doing this thing? Okay, now how do I create a team of people that can do it? How do I budget accordingly? How do I move this across? And, and then how do I begin? And, and that's the thing. I, I want to I want to take a second and really kind of dig in. First of all, I love the name of your company, White Label Software, because we joke about it all the time. Like, how many things do we own? And I, I, I walk around, I tell people, I said, whether you realize it or not, you've probably met David Shaw by his product somewhere. <laughs> you know, <laughs> folks, like what you're doing of, like, let's do something for people because I can't necessarily staff for it. So how do you 
teach people transformative behavior, but then do it with them and for them so that they can get past that first, I don't think we can do it because we don't have the people, whatever. Like, I'm just trying to fight fires, David. You know, like, they would say, like I, I, I don't have time to do this and do a new project. And then you say, what if I could help you do it? Like, how does that process work of bringing the people to it and then giving them ultimately a, a platform or a product on the other side? Yeah, no, that's great. Um, you know, what we're, what we're finding is that, you know, we're, we're hitting the landscape and, and, and the different folks. We're, we got a lot of word of mouth now, so that's really awesome. But in the beginning, it was, it was reaching out and finding out what people's pain points were. Uh, and it's relationship management, right? You, you need to sit down and have a conversation with people. It isn't just, uh, you know, I'm trying to sell widgets and I need you to buy five widgets this week uh, or I'm going to get fired. It's a game of what's your pain point? What do you got going on? What are you trying to accomplish? Uh, and once we understand that, then we're like, okay, you, and I, this, this happens as I got clients doing this right now that they've got some great business advantage they got going on, right? The process is built in, let's say, Excel, right? And they've done some great forecasting and they've got this basically, you know, almost like a mind map, if you will, uh, built into Excel and they all these features. And, like, and, and they're like, yeah, you know what? And every time we go to a client, though, we have to spend time training the client how to use this or the client doesn't have Excel or the client whatever, right? We'd like to get on the web. So we're like, sounds great. Let's do that. And, you know, the first thing is, is saying, hey, where do you want to be in, you know, five to 10 years from now? Right? You guys going to be in business? Because if you are, I'm, I'm pretty much I've had everybody say yes so far. Then let's do this right, right? You know, let's, let's think of you large. Let's think of it of a SaaS model and kind of go in that direction, right? And, and so, again, is it going to be a little cost up front? We're like, yes, it's going to be a little cost up front. But this is your intellectual property. This will be yours. This is not bloatware. Uh, you've seen it. I mean, and I'm, again, not disparaging your products, but a lot of companies buy, you know, I'm going to get, uh, you know, we, got, we were using WebLogic, so I want WebSphere. Uh, you know, I want, uh, you know, IS from Microsoft. I want all these tools. And you end up using 10% of the product. You know, we want to develop the product specifically for that use case or that business case, for the advantage for you. And that's it. No more, no less. Right? And that's kind of, that, that's what we've told all of our businesses that we do. And we're going to turn it over to you and it's yours. I got no IP after that. Uh, and if you want to use software maintenance, we can totally do that, obviously. But the goal really is to say, what can we do to make you successful? Because if you're successful in your business, then by proxy, I'm successful, right? And that's kind of how we look at it. So we, we really put the customer first or the client, if you will, and allow them to feel part of the game and says, yeah, you know, I'm tired of doing this. It's helping our clients out. You know, just even QuickBook integration. I would say we've done a large business. Two of our large businesses have been adapting other people's uh, applications to, to, to QuickView, but the larger ones are e-commerce, right? Those are the large ones we have all day long. And it is real simple where, you know, they've got something with uh, default standards, if it's, you know, Magento or something like that, or Shopify. And we're able to say, hey, look, you know, Shopify, not too much. But the other one, we can really open that up and change you because we put it up more of an open source system and kind of make you more robust, quicker, faster, speed of delivery, how we make changes. Uh, and, and folks get very, very excited and animated about that because now they know that we set them up for success, right? And then they, and they see that going forward, right? And that word of mouth goes to the next one. Probably I don't have too many companies saying, hey, look, uh, Mr. Competitor A, you know, this weatherable software company did a great job for us. You should use them too. So we don't get that, too much of that crosstalk, but we do get it within the industry uh, in different areas. And that's kind of be good from healthcare to everything else. So that's, that's pretty much what we've been able to do is get to that client, find out how they want to be successful, where they see themselves in five to 10 years, kind of understanding their business, understand who they are and where they want to be. And therefore, we can get that right product for them go forward. Sometimes... It's a la carte, you know, you know, it might have 15 features, but let's do, let's do five. Let's get you on the web, do this. And we'll add, you know, 
IAM later, we'll add some CRM functionality later. As you grow and move forward, we'll get your MVP done. We have a lot of that startup work we do. And that's really what I love helping is startup companies where they just need to get MVP up and running, vet their process, get some customer feedback, and then watch them morph that idea that they had into something as it goes forward because customers crave it. And that's really, really awesome for us to see happen. It's, <clears throat> I like that, I, I couldn't have planned it better that we, we came exactly to the spot for why what you do is working and, and, and will work. You know, first of all, obviously there's your, your choice and how you, you approach both the product on, you know, first delivery and also continuously, right? You, you got to go in there saying, hey, I'm building a thing that you're going to own at the end, kind of the same way that I would sit in those meetings and say, someone would say, we can't get this done. I'd say, well, tell you what, what if I could, what if I could get it done when we finish this room? You know, I'm going to head out of this room and I'm going to get that first proof of concept. And then everybody else would kind of like jump in and, and think they want to, they want to be a part of it. I think mm -hmm. for an organization, the right way to approach going outside is not to buy it, own it, forget about it. Cause I've seen that that's basically ERP, you know, at different layers, right? Mm -hmm. We want to go out. I want to get your team to get me to first base and then uh, that room full of people that wanted to jump in, they're going to be excited about the fact that, you know, Hey, I see where we're going. And sometimes it's that fire that you light uh, and, you know, obviously with a product, I like the approach to using open tools wherever possible. You know, we, we all, a lot of folks that are listening here will, will know the names of like Siebel and, and, you know, big, yeah. you know, Oracle ERP stuff and big GL systems and, and we watched teams of developers move into your environment for months at a time. And then on the other side of it, you'd have this giant, big, all you can drink party. And then a month later, you'd be saying, hey, is anybody updating that system? How do we maintain this now? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I saw it over and over again, too. That was the big thing is that if they built these big monoliths, you know, we would do content management systems, huge content management system. Why are we going back to, you know, a big company to get it updated? Because we haven't updated it for two years and it's dangerous. It's insecure. It's slow. It's, it goes down all the time. So we would bring in all these consultants. We would do all this stuff and they would be there for six, seven months. And then we'd have a 72-hour a deployment cut over to production. <laughs> they'd be excited and they'd have this big, huge party. And then we would say, we're never going to let that happen again. And then what do you think happens 18 months later, David? Not a single patch has gone into that system. No right. one touches it because they can't remember half the passwords. They're all afraid to touch it because they remember how big and monolithic it was. And then we're back at square one. <laughs> it's, it's a Herculean effort every time, right? I mean, they're, they're, and I feel bad. I know there's an immediate gratification, uh, lessons learned there, but then they're dropped and forgot. And, uh, and you're right, so it's a set and forget it, right? And it's unfortunate. Uh, they, they, you buy these large products from these different vendors and then, then they expect them to send you pushes and patches and make it work. You, you really have to be involved with your application. Uh, you got to know what you're doing, what your business operation looks like and know where you are, right? I mean, my biggest thing is I like to trace where my client goes. You know, the transaction comes in, out, everything else. So the way we, we build microservices, it's all event triggered, right? I know exactly where something went. I know exactly where something failed. Right. And, and I think that's one of the biggest things we, we had to learn here in the last, I guess, five to 10 years, which was, hey, we're going to fail, but that's OK. We, we get five nines. There's a failure somewhere, but fail fast. Right. Fail fast. Restart that session. Get that connection going again. 
and let's have and let's try again um, because we know it takes a client nothing but somewhere between ten to fifteen seconds to say yeah I'm done and they and they they click out right um, so you know I think you're right I mean it, it's a, it, it, we've seen those Herculean efforts people get upset clients get upset they're offline for overnight or whatever reason or something's wrong coming after that or it's not the right color or something. Uh, and it's very frustrating. And then you know you can't do anything about it because now you're on change control freeze for three months. Why it irons out the bugs? And there's a lack of measurability in those in, the, in a big system, which is also you know one of the key reasons why we we see successes as you convert to you know more compartmentalized microservices, or even just small you know small hunks that you can take off and and make them service based, use service oriented architectures. Uh, I think it was uh, my friend Randy Schaup, he says, you know, uh, microservices is just simply SOA done right. And and we've <laughs> been chasing this since the 80s and 90s. It's just that we finally, we called it a new name. And, but that was the goal is, is create these API loosely coupled systems. And like you said, you have to think to yourself as you build this thing, well, what happens if it fails? What happens when this transaction's lost? Where is it? How do we recover it? Where is it going to be? Where do we pick it up again? Versus the the big monolith. It's we just we think that the the resilience comes from how much stuff is lifting it up. Giant servers, you know, throw more resources at it, reboot it if it needs it, you know. But I, I like the idea of building towards failure patterns. And there's a new term, well, not a new term, new term to, to me and a lot of folks is they talk about anti-fragility. So not just people and systems that are built for surviving failure, but surviving and, and ultimately iterating and becoming better as a result of failure. So every time something goes wrong, you don't just reboot it and say, whew, hope that doesn't happen again. But you actually <laughs> immediately go back and say, okay, what could we do that would prevent this and detect it? And, you know, it doesn't need to be AI. It doesn't need to be machine learning. Like, put that stuff aside. Just think systems thinking, but think towards anti-fragility versus five nines of giant servers underneath it. And, and that's top down. Think of anti-fragility. You're going to find more success than if we are just, you know, rack and stack jockeys, you know, girls and guys that are sitting there very proud of the amount of CPUs they've got on that server. I mean, I love those days. I miss them, but I don't <laughs> at the same time, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you're absolutely right. And, and, and so, you know, I, I kind of turned the paradigm shift around. I, I coined something uh, late in the banks. It was called RUM, right? Uh, real user management. And what that really meant was I, I, I almost don't care how much is going on at the lower layers, the hardware, right? I mean, oh, the server's running 100%, right? And then, and then they're like, well, we need to, take everything out of it. I'm really worried about, like you mentioned, you know, the five nines. What's the application doing? Is, is it doing 120 widgets an hour or a billion transactions an hour, whatever it may be? Is it doing that and what's the SLA, right? Because that's what really microservices is about, guaranteeing those SLAs, right? So if you had an application, let's say, that does HTTP daemon, right? Or, or, or if you will, GL, so it takes input, right? It's taking, it's ingesting information. And it has, a let's say, a MongoDB in the back end, right? That that whole upper layer, let's say that, let's say that crosses, I don't know, uh, somewhere between 50 to, to, to 200 microservices across, you know, 30 servers. And then on the back end database is probably three or four databases that, that will pair each other. That whole upper half, right, is stateless. I don't have to worry about maintaining that state, right, for backups and everything else. I just got to maintain the execution code to go forward, right? 
So now I can move my resources a little bit easier back and forth across that big, huge, think about it like grid computing. That's, that's kind of what we're talking about here. I have, you know, you know, I have, uh, you know, in, in the bank, I had tens of thousands of servers, but here you maybe have like a thousand servers. And, and on those thousands of servers, I have all my applications from HR to, to payroll to, you know, to, to, to our widget to get down for the company, to build science, marketing, whatever. Um, but you'll find out that every one of those uses maybe 10% of the system at a time. If you can consolidate that and to be able to be fluid or, you know, and the, you know I like the, the fragility piece, move yourself back and forth across the room, right, as needed. That's what's really more important, right? And getting rid of the infrastructure that you don't need, those Herculean servers uh, that, that run, uh, you know, because that's, I ran those Oracle fail-safe servers, fellow servers, cluster servers, you know, all exchange server clusters, all that good stuff. You know, I ran all those huge things and it was a lot of infrastructure cost, right? And then, and then a lot of complexity involved, right? Um, but you can get away with that. You can get away with, you know, and I'm not trying to title open source stuff, but if, you, if you've got what you're doing, you're, you're a software company, you know what you got going on and you've got a software development team, you know, you've got some opportunities there where you can create these really nice fluid uh, microservices that can go back and forth and start really gaining your, especially in containers, you can start gaining the resources back from the servers instead of having that 10% overhead for the OS, another 10% overhead for the virtualization layer, another 10% overhead for the application that's running, right? And start getting down to actually utilizing the hardware, what the hardware is there for. Uh, not the, hey, how am I doing at 15 layers? You know what I mean? That That's right. So do you think, so if you could, you let's imagine that you've got, you're, you're walking into your, you're walking into your high school and you're going back to be a, to be a, a people coach for technologists or business folks, people that are getting ready to choose their university or even your, their university or college and, and they're getting ready to come out to the world. Think about the difference to what, when you came out of that world and that time, what would you tell folks today? If I were to come into a technology world or business world, what, what are the top three skills or top couple of skills that I need to have, David? Yeah, it's really interesting. At the largest, you know, almost depending on where you're going, but I tell everybody, you know what, relationship management is a big thing. You need to learn to listen. Right, not listen to reply, but listen to understand. Right, what's going on? What's needed? Right, and get your team around you. If you feel like you're over your head, you're in a good spot. If you feel like you know everything, you got to find a new team. So the, the biggest thing for me is to get to get a team together that has their expertise in their space and be able to let them run with that. Right, and that's what that relationship management about. I'm finding a lot of technologists. Uh, nothing wrong with the with with introverted style, but in, in general, it does it, it silos people. It doesn't allow people to communicate back and forth. There's some folks I know, I have them on my team, and you just have to use them properly. They're not client facing. I can't let that person talk to the client. Just, it's not going to turn out well, right? So I, I would say more times than not, I don't have people I can really sit in front of the client to help articulate what needs to be what needs to transpire here, right? So I think today they use the word technology relationship manager, but that's really more of a Here's a portfolio of stuff we can offer for you, offer you, but you need to have that more. I think we've we've lost that and losing that a little bit. I, I, I don't want to get off on a tangent when I talk about you know the millennials and texting and you know all the communication. That <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I just we well we missed we missed the face to face conversation right. There are That's times right. where we have to have that conversation. It's a little bit more than you know email back and forth. Like a lot of folks that email, but all they're doing is uh, just getting. I just need to get this off my plate but we're not really fixing the problem. We didn't really listen to understand, we just listened to reply. Um, and we really need to be able to get, go back and say, hey, let me get big, let me understand the big picture, more transparency, 
Uh, so relationship management is a big one, right? Uh, and be bold, right? Be bold. Every, you know, everybody uh, has restrictions, right? And don't, have, don't you know, like, for example, when you were a kid, uh, you know, skateboard, well, maybe it's just me, right? Skateboarding or doing whatever I did. I didn't worry about, you know, hey, I'm looking down this half pipe, I'm going to go break a leg. I will now, right? That's but right. Then, yeah. I didn't care, right? I went and did it. I just, I just did, right? Um, now, now I'm like, I don't know. I got kids and stuff. I don't think it's a good idea. I might break something. I'm gonna have to go to the VA. I don't like the VA, you know. I mean, all this stuff goes through your head. But those are those, those are inhibitors that that slow me down, right? And so, what I would say to my younger self is, man, be bold. Go out there. Go do something. Because I'm not a big fan of of job hopping. But the point is that, hey, if you have a great idea. Vocalize it, right? Go do it. Be the relationship manager. That, that'll help you communicate better. You can articulate what you got going on as a business plan that you see and, and speak up and do it and then execute it, right? I got a lot of folks that, 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 that they're very good at starting things and they're very good at finishing. So I'm usually, lately I've been telling people, hey, you need to stop starting and you need to start finishing. <laughs> but um, yeah, be bold and get going, right? I mean, I, I think technology is very large. Uh, I think, you know, like you said earlier, mainframe, I mean, you had everything. Oh, we did firewalls and storage, and there was just, that was just one big thing. Now it's you're very PhD. Um, I like to say everybody keep a large breadth of technology. All this technology is just a toolkit, a toolbox. Like you said, we got SAP here. We got open source over there. We, are we going to use this? We need, it's 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 these are all tools in the toolbox, the technology toolbox, and it's how to understand what the business needs and applying which tool from the toolbox to that need. Yeah, and it's <clears throat> because I think the 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 risk everybody runs early on, especially is kind of like when you're, you know, you're talking to, you know, you're talking to your kids and they're going through, if you, if you've got, you know, teenagers, especially, and, and they're, they hit a lot of these social pressures and, and it's kind of a good, uh, you know, precursor to what they're going to bump into in the job force. You're going to say like, Hey, look, you're going to go and you're going to work for a company and you're going to have zero power. You're going to be just like nodding saying, yes, sir. No, sir. Mm -hmm. What do I need to do next? And, and please tell me. And, you know, and you're going to have to do stuff that you don't want to do. You're going to, have to do uncomfortable stuff. And as yes. on, you do enough of that. Eventually you'll have to do less uncomfortable stuff or it will become less uncomfortable, which is, like you said, I don't expect introverts to go and give public talks no, any more than I would expect me to nose down and write code all day because we're on either end of a spectrum. I'm lucky that mm -hmm. I sit in the middle, that I can, I can tell the story, but I can write some code. I'm going to be more... I'm more apt to do one than the other and in the same way that I've got, like you said, amazing folks that can do amazing things with code and with platforms and with technology mm -hmm. and their focus is, and their strength is not necessarily sitting in front of a customer listening and telling the story about what the product is going to do. And that's great. You know, you put them on a team with people that will make an amazing group of skills and, and it's cool. So I, I do, I do like this. We're winding up to the hour, David, I could literally spend all day talking with you. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll do this again in the future. Cause I want to dig some more as, especially as we see the, the times change and we're going to be able to have the same conversation in a lot of ways as we see this next technologies come into play. Um, but let's remind folks again where they can find you and, and find out more about what you're doing uh, online. And, and then hopefully, you know, folks, I definitely recommend, you know, reach out and think about what, what David shared with us today, right? What can you do towards your future with the skills that you've got and the skills that you can nurture 
that'll give you that anti-fragility in your business, your life, and in your tech stack. So David, where do we find you? Uh, and and Leftly, I, I tell people, reach out, reach out on LinkedIn and, and get connected. He, uh, David's a good fellow. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's David R. Shaw on LinkedIn. And uh, you can find me also at uh, whitelabel.software. Uh, and, uh, and just a teaser for you, I've got a stealth project going on right now that we should uh, bounce out in July. So I could probably tell you more about it back then. I got this all these cool NDA things to work with. But I really wanted to tell you about it today. And I didn't get confirmation, but we'll, we'll get it there. Um, but yeah, David Shaw, and, uh, and, and you can find me at uh, whitelabel.software. And love to talk to you. Again, I don't care if it's about technology, people, uh, generational stuff. I'm here. I'm ready to listen. Right on. Yeah, and uh, I'm excited. Definitely, uh, I, I wouldn't need an excuse to, to set a time in a, in a few weeks to do this again. So yeah, let's get... We're going to talk more about your your stealth project. Uh, we'll share that with the world. And for folks, of course, if you want to find out, uh, I'll share as much as I can on the show notes. Definitely uh, keep track. Go to discopossepodcast.com. You can find out the rest of the show notes, links to to subscribe. If you can, rate us because it's like super helpful. Uh, the more ratings you get, uh, it obviously uh, helps to give me an idea. Am I, are we doing cool things? Are we saying the right stuff? And, and give feedback. Of course, you can find me. I'm at DiscoPosse on Twitter. Uh, reach out. Let me know if you've got ideas for the show, folks you want me to talk to. With that, David, thank you very much. Uh, we will talk to you again. And uh, folks, we'll, we'll see you at an event soon. I know we've got tons of stuff going on. We just had a big announcement uh, with, with uh, around the podcast and some other projects I'm working on. So it's crazy. Lots of fun time. And we're heading into show season. So we'll see everybody soon. You're listening to the Disco Podcast.